It's been so cool being here. I love this church. And um, obviously there's been a dual impartation. I feel like that um, I haven't come here and been some dime a dozen preacher that gets everybody riled up and leaves. I've actually um, had time to spend time with people. And, um, and I feel like I've imparted something that, that will change the way people think. And uh, which is so good. But at the same time, I would say that your church has imparted something into me. And, and the reason it has is, is because of the environment around here, the environment of openness and love. And, and I would say this, your pastor's not here, but he's one of the great ones in the whole world. Yeah, he is one of the great ones in the whole world. And um, I love him very much, him and his wife, his family, Dave and Kate and Doug and just the, the whole team here is fan. Fantastic. We, we've had fun, and um, a lot of fun. Maybe too much fun at times, um, but, but, but we have done that. Um, you guys ready for the Word? Very good. We'll turn to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, and um, while you're turning there, I'm going to talk to you this morning about the most hated man in the whole Bible, Genesis chapter 25, verse 27 to 34. Genesis 25, verse 27 to 34. While you're turning there, I'd like to thank you for um, your generosity with us back at the, at the resource table. This is the main way we support ourselves. Um, when, 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 when the offering from a church covers our expenses and, um, and, and our, a salary for me that's established by a board of men in, in America, um, once, once we go past that, we have another account that we put the stuff in that um, allows us to, to save up so that every now and then I can take a week off, which is a good thing, and also for us to go to countries that cannot afford to bring us. For instance, Papua New Guinea um, has contacted me. The, the, the largest church in Papua New Guinea wants me to come do a crusade, and, um, and I, th- I think that's pretty cool. Of course, there's a, mis- there's, there's a disclaimer in that, and it says, you know, Shane, this is Papua New Guinea. You're going to have to pay your own way. And you're going to have to bring your own stuff. And you probably need to bring a team since there's thousands of us. And, um, and so there's a lot of cost involved in that. And the way we do that is through these. And so it's a dual, it's a dual trade. It's you're, you're giving us something that lets me go to places like that, which I think you would agree. Don't, don't these messages need to be there too? I mean, come on. I mean, it's that we don't want to be selfish and keep it to ourselves. The other impartation is, is that I sow something into your life that changes the way you look at God forever, which is a really cool thing. There's a couple things um, I'd like. To, now, this morning's message is just one message for one moment at one time. Obviously, there's no way we could cover everything we'd want to cover. And this morning's message is in a series back there called Counting the Cost. It's a series on decisions, grace, and forgiveness. Um, the, the other two that, that I'd like to share that just to tell you about, this one here is called Phases in the Master Plan. How many of you were blessed by the teaching on the tassels? The, uh, the, the, and if you don't know what that is, you need to, you need to get this in, in, in your hand. There's, a, there's an awesome teaching on what they wore on the corners of their garments and what it meant for everyday life. And it's called Phases in the Master Plan. It's back there. It's a four-part series on the Hebraic concept of oneness or unity, Ehad. And since God is Ehad, uh, hero Israel, hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, the Lord is Ehad. Since God is Ehad and you are made in the image of God, you will then find your fulfillment in Ehad. And so, um, and it's also the force that holds the whole universe together. So we don't want to go sabotaging Ehad. So anyway, I'd like to give that to somebody who wants to listen to that. Yeah, yeah right there. There you go. You've, I've seen you around doing things that's cool. The rest of you um, come by it. It's good. Um, um, the, now, this is a, a newer series I did on 
on the Hebraic idea of discipleship, that we're to be imitators and not individuals. That, that Western culture puts a lot of value on being yourself and being an individual and being out there. But how many of you, uh, if you're over the age of 45, you definitely would know this, that, that, that you've lived long enough to see all the cycles come around. And, and, and teenagers today that think they're being individuals, they're actually just imitating what you saw too. And, 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 and any time we try to be an individual, we're actually just imitating we're just being imitators they, because it's made, it's in us to be imitators. That's a good thing. We should be imitators. God made us ultimately to be an imitator of him and to be an imitator of a few spiritual mentors. That's how they did their discipleship. And it talks about this in this four CD series. Who'd like that one? Who'd like that one? I'd like to give that to you. There you go. All right. I do have a series back there on... It's a seven-disc series on how the Hebrew people do their finances. I think I got three left. And um, if we run out, it's okay. There's a big box coming tomorrow, which isn't that great. There was this holiday where you guys celebrate this military thing that happened. And... um, (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's, it's very cool. um, But it kept my parcel from getting here. And so, um, but there's no worries without that. If we run out of anything, we've got all these order forms and it will be here tomorrow. TNT said it will be here on Thursday. We called and said, where's the parcel? They said, oh, it'll be there Monday. We're like, that kind of misses the point. And so, um, so you just got to deal with that. But you can pick that up back there. It's a, it's a seven disc series on how the Hebrew people do their money. We also, and if you do it that way, you will have all the money because they have all the money because that's how they do their money. Okay? And they don't even believe in Jesus, and they have all the money. Okay? Um, and then the other thing back there is the, the, the leadership, uh, leadership seminar we did. Um, it's back there in pieces, but also have an eight-disc series on leadership in business and in family and in ministry. So you guys can check all that out. It helps me go to the nations. It's a really cool thing. All right. This morning, I want to talk to you about um, decisions that we make and, and what a lot of things come down to. The, the, the Bible is full of awesome things. People fulfilling great potential and doing great things for God, like the stories, you know, David and Goliath, you got, you got the guy that, and, and you know, David, I think we retell that story horribly. Like normally when we retell the story of David, we make him a small little boy. And in cartoons about David, David's, David's a small little boy. Let me tell you something, David was like a trained assassin, okay? He, he killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. This was no wimp. All right. This was a guy that that was that that you just wouldn't want to run into. Um, he just happened to be the youngest, so he was kind of the the runt of the litter, so to speak, in terms of age and in terms of hierarchy. And, and he ends up he he goes up against Goliath, which I don't care how bad David was. Goliath, he was the underdog. And you see a guy instead of all instead of following the crowd of the whole armies of Israel, instead of following that crowd, he steps up and says, "I am going to make a difference." And he steps out and do it. And something happens inside of us when we read stories like that we go yes like yes like Noah standing against the whole culture have you guys seen Evan Almighty have you seen it Evan this is like really cool it's it's a really cool retelling because a lot of times see we read it from the end to the beginning we were here we know how it ends up and we're like hey guys a flood's coming it's really smart to build a boat but if you were living then he'd have been ridiculed and made fun of and I loved Evan Almighty because it retold the story of Noah like what would it have happened if a person in power started building a boat in the middle proclaiming there's a flood and, and yet you read it and you see it work out and you're like yes like 
yes, this is incredible. And the Bible's full of stories like that. It's full of stories about people who kind of make their way and get free. It's full of stories of Mary Magdalene and Peter and guys like James and John, the sons of thunder. Like, you didn't get that nickname going to Sunday school. And, and, and they, Jesus takes people like that and he molds them into something bigger. But then there's also sad things. They're sad things, and that starts in the Garden of Eden, where you have all of these people. You have people who have oneness with God, Adam and Eve. They have oneness with God, and they trade perfect oneness for a chance to be like God, which is a really bad trade. They trade oneness with God for likeness, which let me just say, there, there's a whole message back there on that, but let me just say to you, don't trade oneness for likeness. They traded oneness with God for a chance to have their life defined by how well they navigate good and evil. And how many of you know that no matter which side of the tree of knowledge and good and evil you pick from, it's the wrong side? Because ultimately, it messes you up. If you make 100 decisions in a day, and 98 of them are good, and two of them are evil, what do you go to bed thinking about? The evil. It, 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 just, it just messes us up. It just, no, matter, no matter what side of that tree. So you have, you have pictures of, of people all through the Bible that had, God had these great plans for, and then for whatever reason, they sold it out for something way way cheaper. So I want to read you one of these stories from Genesis 25. This guy is the most hated man in the whole Bible. And what we're going to find is, is that it, the rabbis would, would, all through history, the rabbis have called him by far the most foolish man who ever lived. And, and you would think that this guy would have been a child sacrificer or an adulterer or a murderer or a fornicator or some kind of big sin. If they'd had heroin back then, heroin, something big, you know, like some, some kind of huge thing that destroys people. But it wasn't that way at all. This guy was basically an honest, hardworking man who in one moment traded everything he could be for one meal. And, and I want to I uh, look at it. It's so full of stuff. It says, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. You guys are like into men's stuff around here. Like you guys, I, I noticed this, like you, you, guys, you guys think I'm a redneck. Y'all are rednecks. I mean, what I was seeing those guys do back there last night, that's redneck. They were eating with no forks. So I, I made my plate and I said, where's the forks? They said, this is a men's meeting. We don't need forks. I was like, oh, right. Yeah, rednecks. So in this culture... In, in this culture, we, we, like that. we like this guy already, Esau, a skillful hunter. And men say, <laughs> a man of the open country. <laughs> well, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents, which is basically staying at home, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, there's so much going on in this story already. You got, this, you got this basically honest, hardworking guy, a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. He's one brother. The other brother is basically a mama's boy, a homebody. And, and, you, and you get a clue as to why. Jacob loved the older brother more. And Rebecca loved the younger brother more. So you have this family dynamic where the dad loves one son more. How many of you know that it's messed up already? The dad loves one son more, so the mother compensates by loving the other one more. That Jacob's name meant deceiver, to, to, give, you, to, to give you, or liar, to, to give you an example of that, that Satan, the, the, the Hebrew idea of Satan was arch deceiver. So the, the Hebrew idea of Satan is actually arch Jacob. It, it's like King Jacob. 
Jacob, so Jacob's name meant liar, deceiver. Can, can you imagine that? Imagine, imagine that. Go to bed, liar. Get up, liar. Do your chores, liar. Come to dinner, liar. Like all his whole life. So this boy grew up with a dad who he knew loved his brother more and with a mom who loved him more. And his whole life, he was called liar. And over the course of time, it messed him up. And you can imagine. It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew. So here's that homebody, mama's boy stuff. I mean, look, there's men today who can't cook stew. Back then, this just didn't happen. Jacob was cooking some stew, and Esau came in from the open country, famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, because I'm famished. That is why today he is called Edom. This is, that's a slam. That's a joke that they're making at him. I'll explain it in a second. And Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my birthright to me? If you're a note taker, that's the key phrase in the whole passage. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave him some bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank. And then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Hey, this passage is so full of stuff. You got this guy, this man of the open country. He's loved by his dad. This other boy who's not loved by his dad, he's loved by his mom. He's called a liar, an arch deceiver. There's all of this imagery in this. And the truth is, is this isn't just a story about two brothers in the ancient Near East. This is a story about me and it's a story about you. Where do you find yourself in this story? Where do you find yourself in this story? Who are you in this story? You, you got Jacob, and, and, he's, and, and he's cooking some stew, and, and this guy comes in, and he's hungry. He's just hungry. And he says, quick, give me some of that red stew. Now, in Hebrew, he doesn't say that. In Hebrew, he just says, ha-adam, ha-adam. Ha-adam, ha-adam. Now, now, in Hebrew, they didn't have any adverbs. So, if they wanted to say something with exclamation, they would just say it twice or three times. Like, if they wanted to say peace, they would say shalom. If they wanted to say, like, really serious peace, they'd say, shalom, shalom. And if they wanted to say, a peace that surpasses all understanding, they'd say, shalom, shalom, shalom. That's how they did it. So when he comes in, he says, ha-adam, ha-adam, which just means the red, the red. I think the King James Version just says, give me some of that red. Give me some of the red. They add stew in the NIV because it doesn't make sense. Otherwise, give me some of that red, the red, the hot, dumb, hot, dumb. Give me some, and let me just say it this way. Give me some of that red stuff, that red stuff. I really, 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 really want the red stuff. Hot, dumb, hot, dumb. Hot, dumb. Now, now, now the, Hebrew, the Hebrew word for red is adam. The, the Hebrew word for blood is dam. So, so, so there was this huge imagery because the blood was a mysterious substance to the Hebrew people because if you ran out of it, you died, but you couldn't see it. But if you ran out of it, you died. And so it was life source. The life is in the blood. So he comes in and he goes, ha Adam, ha Adam, give me some of that red stuff, that red stuff. Give me some of that life source, that life source. And you see the imagery played out in his, in his, in his dialogue. He says, I'll die if I don't get the red stuff. I'll die. Now, now there, there is a, there's a principle in place here that I explained during the week, but I'll explain it again now. And that's the Hebrew idea of iniquity. Iniquity. The Hebrew word for iniquity is the word avon. 
okay, like the makeup company, all right? Avon. Now, every Hebrew letter is a picture, so every Hebrew word is a comic strip, okay? So, so Avon, if you break down Avon, Avon is three letters. The first letter, the way they wrote it was an eye, like an eyeball. The, the second letter was a hook, and, and the third letter was fish multiplying, so it looked like a crescendo, okay? So when a Hebrew person read the word iniquity, he read whatever your eye hooks to multiplies. Whatever your eye hooks to multiplies. So, so Esau comes in, and his eye hooks to the ha-adam, ha-adam. Give me some of that red stuff, that red stuff. I'll die without the red stuff. And, and Jacob says, ah, Jacob sees that his eye has hooked to the red stuff, and it started multiplying to the point where he convinced himself he would die if he didn't have it. Has that ever happened to us? Where we thought we wanted something so bad that we would die without it. It was the ha-adam, ha-adam. And in that moment, there was a decision created. And that decision was this. There was a bowl, and there was a birthright. And Jacob says, sell me your birthright first. And then Esau makes the stupidest statement in the whole Bible. He says, what good is my birthright to me if I'll die without what's in the bowl? What good is my birthright to me? So it says, it's, it says that he despised his birthright. To despise something means to profane it. It, it mean, it's the word profane, where we get the word profanity means, it, it, it means to take something that was sacred and treat it as common. It, it would be the same thing as if we walked outside today and there was somebody burning a stack of Bibles. Now, is there anything sacred about a leather-bound book with pages with words on it? No, but because we believe it's the word of God, he has taken something sacred and he is desecrating it. It's profanity. It's profane. And so it says that he treated his birthright as profanity. In other words, he took something as sacred as God's call on his life, and he traded it for a bowl. And they make fun of him. They, they, they throw in a slam. Moses, which if we believe Scripture was inspired by God, God's actually kind of throwing in this slam. And, and, it, and it says, Moses says, so that's why from this day forward they called him Edom. Edom, which means the red man. The Edomites came from the red region. Why? Because they were descendants from the red man. In other words, you want to you trade everything for Ha'adam, Ha'adam? You want to trade everything from Ha'adam, Ha'adam? From this day forward, we're going to call you Adam. In other words, from this day forward, we're going to call you Red. Hey, what's up, Red? You want to go out, Red? So from this day forward, everybody reminded him of this one decision he made to trade everything he could be for a bowl of ha-adam, ha-adam. It's huge. The Bible's full of all this stuff, but you have to understand birthright. You have to understand the Hebrew concept of birthright. First of all, birthright was the carrying of the family name for survival. Birthright was everything. They were nomadic people, all related. Everybody picked up tents and just went, and their aunts and uncles lived next to them. Your, your carrying of your family name was huge for the surviving of the surname. Symbolic of everything your family stood for. How one family acts reflects the whole family. So it was symbolic of everything your family stood for. It, it enti- the birthright entitled you to twice, to twice the inheritance. It was a double portion. And I don't have time to get into all that, but that was huge. It entitled you to a double portion 
a compensation for all the responsibility you had as a firstborn. And he says, what good is my birthright to me? In other words, let me just say it this way in one sentence. It was a summary statement of everything a person could be. It was a, a birthright was a summary statement of everything a person could be, a destiny, a family tree, everything they could be. And he traded everything he could be for one momentary urge. The ha'adam, ha'adam. Where do we find ourselves in this story? Have you ever traded God's best for your life for one momentary urge? Has your eye ever hooked to something? And even though it wasn't of God, it wasn't a part of God's plan for your life, you convinced yourself, ha-adam, ha-adam, I'll die without what's in that bowl. And Satan always says, yep, trade me your birthright first and I'll give it to you. He never lets you taste what's in the bowl first. He always makes you trade everything you could be first. Trade everything you could be and I'll give you what you think you'll die without. And how many of you can attest that once you trade everything you could be for one urge, once you have the urge, it wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth it. And some of us have made decisions so poor in this that every day we're reminded I traded what I could be for one bowl. I traded everything I could be for one bowl. The Bible's full of stuff like this. In, in the book of Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. It says this. This is God talking to Moses. He says, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And Moses said to the Lord. Then there's this conversation that goes on. So God says, Moses, I have this huge plan for you, this huge birthright, this huge destiny. I want you to be responsible for getting three to five million people out of slavery into freedom. That's huge. And I've called you to do it. And Moses says, why me? And then in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 through 12, there's this conversation that goes on this whole chapter. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 through 12, it says this, and Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servants. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. In other words, God's saying, Moses, I have this huge plan for you, this huge birthright. And Moses trades it in for a bowl that says, I'm not qualified. It's like, it's like God saying, I have this huge plan for you. And he said, yeah, but I've I, I got to see in public speaking. So Moses is essentially saying, I don't have the skill. You see it again in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 14 through 16. Judges, chapter 6, verse 14 through 16. It says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites. Once again, huge. The same group of people that Moses gets out of slavery. This same group of people ends up in slavery again. And God shows up to a man named Gideon. He says, Gideon, I want you to go get all these people and get them free. And Gideon's like, yeah, have you seen my family? 
They're they're white trash. (laughs) Or olive trash. (laughs) Like, like have you you seen where I come from? I'm the least of the tribes and the least of the clan and the least of the family. Like, this isn't me. Once again, an excuse. So one excuse was I didn't have the skill. The other excuse was I don't have the heritage. And you see this again in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as the prophet to the nations. O sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Once again, I have this huge plan for you, Jeremiah. Huge. And Jeremiah says, Yeah, but I don't have the maturity. We're always making excuses. The ha-adam, ha-adam. How many of us at times have traded everything we could be for one momentary urge. In the book of Matthew, chapter 23, Jesus is mourning over Jerusalem. And and the reason he's mourning is because Israel was called to be a light to the nations. In in Exodus chapter 3, it says that, that, that God chose to rescue these people out of slavery and put them into freedom. So God's big idea started with taking a group of oppressed, marginalized people and moving them out of slavery and into freedom. And then in the book of Isaiah, he says, it's a light thing. Isaiah 49 verse 6, something like that. It says, it is a light thing that I would just forgive you. I want to make you a light to the nations, the heavier thing is you being a light to the nation. So here's a group of people in Matthew 27, uh, 23, verse 37 to 39. Here's a group of people who have, who have had this huge destiny on their life to be a light to the nations. But if you know the history of Israel, they weren't, they didn't do it. They didn't measure up. Now watch what happens. Jesus is mourning it and he says, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who have killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is now left desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, Israel, I've got this huge plan for you. Huge. But you were not willing. You've chosen the bowl instead of the birthright. You had this huge birthright, but you chose the bowl. You chose the urge to kill the prophets because they were challenging your thinking. You chose the urge to live for yourself instead of living for your birthright. You chose the bowl instead of the birthright. Later in the New Testament, the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 5 through 10, Paul puts this whole principle together this way. Colossians, chapter 3, verse 5 through 10. And he says this, Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the creator day by day. In other words, Paul's saying, you used to live for the bowl. 
You used to live from urge to urge to urge to urge to urge. You used to live that way. But now I want you to live for the birthright. Will you live for the bowl or will you live for the birthright? And the, the huge part of this is this, is forgiveness is not the issue. Does God forgive sexual immorality, impurity, greed, lust, malice, slander, anger? Does God forgive all those things? Yes. Jesus said every sin a man commits will be forgiven him except for unforgiveness and the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Of course he forgives him. It's not a matter of forgiveness. It's a matter of your birthright or your bowl. It's a matter of are you living for your best life or are you simply, at the end of your life, will the story of your life read, my life was defined by my destiny or my life was defined by my bowl? Hmm. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 and 17, this is so huge because it mentions Esau again. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, how many, who, who knows what's in Hebrews 11? Hebrews 11 is that list that we call the hall of faith, all these like heroes of the faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, see to it that no one, Hebrews 12, 16 and 17, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Now, now, now let's think about that for a second. Here's the writer of Hebrews saying, see to it that no one is godless like Esau. If you go back and look at Esau's story, Esau was really just an honest, hardworking guy who made one bad decision to eat stew, and instead of to eat stew, he sold it for his birthright. That's all he ever did. Now, Now, in Hebrews 11, it mentions heroes of the faith. Heroes! I'm talking about guys, these guys are heroes of the faith. Abraham gave his wife to Pharaoh's harem. Hmm. Isaac did something similar. Samson was sleeping with prostitutes on his wedding night because he got depressed because his best man stole his wife. Hmm. Jephthah sacrificed his own daughter on an altar he created because of a rash vow. Gideon, we read about him already. David committed adultery, got the woman pregnant, and to cover it up, decided to kill her husband, and in trying to kill her husband, ended up killing 17 men in one day, trying to kill one to cover up a sin he did. He made it into the hero's day. Moses, premeditated murderer. I looked this way and that, and seeing no one, I killed the man and hid him in the sand. Hero of the faith. Somehow they worked it out to where they were hero of the faith. But you got a guy who was an honest, hard-working guy who came in one day and was so hungry, he thought he would die without the ha-adam, ha-adam. He traded his birthright for one bowl, and now everybody picks on him. <laughs> See to it that no one is godless like Esau. You would think that godless would apply to a man that gave his wife to Pharaoh's harem, wouldn't you? You would think that godless would apply to a man who slept with prostitutes on his wedding night. You would think that godless applied to a man that committed adultery and murder. You would think godless would apply to a man that committed premeditated murder. You would think godless would apply to a man who sacrificed his own kid. You would think godless would apply to those people. But no, those people somehow got it straight and they made it into the heroes of the faith. But it says, see to it that no one is godless like Esau. Godless. Godless like Esau. No, let's see why. Watch what he says. See to it no one is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, even though he sought it with tears. Even though he sought it with tears. The word godless there is the same word that we translate profane. 
same word as despised in the Old Testament. Same word. In other words, he's saying, that why did they hate him so bad? See, these other guys, they made awful mistakes. I mean, they made awful mistakes. But in their heart, they were, they were men after God. That you could be a man after God and make a horrible mistake. But what they say about Esau is this, is that in his heart, he lived as though there was no higher purpose for his life than a bull. What good is my birthright to me? Are you kidding me? In other words, there's no higher purpose in my life than my urges. There's no higher purpose in my life. Nothing else matters except for my urges. Hmm. So what does that mean for us? Let me just ask us a couple questions to apply this this morning before we leave. Number one, do we live as though there's no higher purpose profaning our destiny? Do we live as though there's no higher purpose like if somebody, if you were to do an honest self-assessment of your life today, do you live for the birthright or do you live as if there's no higher purpose than what you want and feel like doing today? This is in pop psychology, man. I'm telling you, I'm a trained psychologist and I have heard psychologists tell clients, you don't have to do anything you don't feel like doing. Hello? How's that going to work? Put that into a marriage. Put that into a marriage. Wife, you don't have to do anything you don't feel like doing. Husband, you don't have to do anything you don't feel like doing. Of course, they only tell the wife that one. <laughs> Men just have to suck it up. Right? Wife, you don't have to do anything you don't feel like doing. Husband, you don't have to do anything you don't feel like doing. Can you imagine what kind of situation that would cause? Hmm. It, it, you don't have to do anything. Do we live like there's no higher calling for our life? A higher calling to be called into the image of Jesus Christ to live what his destiny is for us. Number two, this pattern simply leads us from living from urge to urge. In other words, you might say, well, how do I know if I'm profaning my destiny? How do I know if I'm living as though there's nothing else bigger? Let me ask you this. Let me ask it this way. Does your is your life defined from living from bowl to bowl to bowl to bowl, or is it defined by something larger? D do you find yourself giving in to the bowl all the time? Do you find your eyes getting hooked to things all the time? Ha adam, ha adam. It's like every, and then when that wears off, you got another ha adam, ha adam. And then when that wears off, you got another ha adam, ha adam. Red stuff, red stuff, red stuff, red stuff, red stuff, red stuff. Hmm. Uh, let me give you some examples of this. Sexuality. Walking too close to the line there. Urge to urge. The hunger drive and the sex drive, the two biggest drives God gave us, and God gave us both of them, and that is awesome. But it can also be a bowl. How about this? How about the urge to talk about other people bad, to slander other people, to talk about all the negative things people are going through? And we profane them when God made them in righteousness and true holiness, and they're going through something, but we profane them. It's an urge that we have. It's an urge. It may as well hit everybody. How about taking no regard for what we put in our body? It's just one more piece of cake. Just, it's just one more. It's, it's an urge. It's the ha-adam, ha-adam. We may as well hit everybody, hey? Yeah, I'll start my diet tomorrow. Ha Adam, ha Adam, ha Adam. Red stuff, red stuff. I'll die without that piece of cake. 
And how many of us have ever been in that situation and you resisted the piece of cake and you actually felt so much better that you did? Once we eat the piece of cake, what do we always say? I shouldn't have done that. Mm. When I take something into my body that can rob me of my birthright, we simply live from urge to urge. Esau failed to live with a sense that there was something greater to his life. Now, now I want to end this by pointing out one thing about the text that is, that is so important. I think it brings the whole thing home. What Esau was convinced and what we get convinced about, ha-adam, ha-adam. What we get convinced about will die without it. It's the ha-adam, it's the red, it's the life source. I'll die. What good is my birthright to me? I have to have what's in the bowl. What he was so convinced he would die without ended up being beans. It says, so after he sold his birthright, Jacob gave him some lentil stew. Lentils are beans. So what he thought he would die without ends up being beans. She thought that, um, she came to my office, and she thought, she's a teenage girl, 16 or 17, and she thought that if she crossed the line sexually with him, it would make their relationship more meaningful because she was convinced she was in love with him and she was convinced he was in love with her and she thought by crossing the line sexually that it would make their relationship better and plus the normal urges, it was the ha-adam, ha-adam. And so she crosses the line with him sexually and then after it's over, she looks over at him And she thinks, beans. (laughs) It was just beans. Anyone who's ever lived for the next hit in an addiction, you live for it. It's the ha-adam, ha-adam. I've got to have it. I'll die without it. And then you have it. And after it's over, it's just beans beans. The husband who thinks he might die without the next drink. So he takes it and he ruins his family and it's just beans. The mom who thinks that they have to yell and talk down to their child to get things off their chest. They yell and they they desecrate their child and they they take all their dignity away and at the end of that it's just beans. The person who has to just have the new car I have to have the V8. Chicks dig the V8. I have to have it. So you go to the car lot. The car lot, if you're here today and you're a car salesman, listen, I grew up around the car business, no making fun of you, I'm just telling you. The car lot, car salesmen are trained professionals at ha-adam, ha-adam. You need this car. Chicks dig the car. You deserve reliable transportation. Ha-adam, ha-adam, ha-adam. And you trade, you trade every bit of financial peace you have to buy something that's going to lose 50% of its value in three years and you're going to pay 9% interest on it. Woo! So you, you trade everything you can have for the ha-adam, ha-adam. I have to have it. I'll die without it. Anybody ever had car fever besides me? 
And you get to the car lot and the car salesman's like, they can smell car fever. They have a car fever thermometer. They just don't tell you it's rectal. Hmm. It's ha dum ha dum ha dum And you trade it all in. And 45 days later, they're very clever. They put, the paper, they put the payments off 45 days, so it has time to wear off. And then the first payment comes due, and you look in your garage, and you're like, I'm paying how much for this? And it's going down how fast in value? That was beans. The impulse buyer... May as well hit everybody. <laughs> the impulse buyer who just has to put it on a credit card. So we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. I have a friend who's still paying for a beer he bought in 2001. He went through this season. He got partying a lot. And he was stupid. And so... He got out and he'd say, oh, everything's on me. He's still paying for that on his credit cards. Beans. Beans. The person who just has to tell you all the news about X person. And, and the person who just has to tell you all the news. So if you're going to be spiritual, so you can pray about it. And they have to tell you all the news about X person. And then after they get it off their chest, it's just beans. And after you've listened to it, you feel dirty. And it's just Beans. The church member who just can't resist the urge to be critical about their pastor. Beans. The person who just has to be negative and critical about their husband. Beans. The person who has to withdraw and be mean to their wife. Beans. And we trade everything we can be for a bowl. And once we eat it, we think we'll die without it. And once we eat of it, it's just beans. Remember the guy in the Old Testament? I can't remember his name. I think it was Amnon. And he convinced himself he loved Tamar so much that he, he said he became sick and he thought he would die without her. And she wouldn't have anything to do with him. So he was so convinced he'd die without having her that he raped her. And he says after he raped her, he hated her more than he loved her. Mm, beans. Trade everything you can be for a bowl of beans. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says this. Then he said to them, this is Jesus talking, and this sentence makes perfect sense without one word. Then he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That sentence makes more sense without daily. It just makes plenty sense without daily, but Jesus adds the word daily. Let me just, let me close this out by, by saying it this way. Today, there's a paragraph written about your life. And you're the author. And tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. What Jesus wants us to avoid is this. Is getting to 75 years old and looking back on our life and realizing my life could have been so much more but what I did is I allowed my life to be defined by a series of urges. 
that we have two choices. We can live our life from urge to urge to urge to urge to urge to urge to urge, and it'll be defined by this thing, which is just beans. Or we can take up our cross daily, and remind ourselves every day that there's a destiny God wants us to fulfill. And there's such a higher purpose in my life that my life doesn't have to be defined by the bowl. It can be defined by the birthright. Mm. I bless you today to know this, that you serve a God who believes in you more than you believe in him. That you have a God who has a birthright for you. And if you've given your life to the bowl up to this moment, he's willing to forgive you, give you a clean slate, and go for it. There's a birthright for you. You can live as though there's a higher purpose. To live as though there's no higher purpose than your urges is profaning God's destiny for you. It's huge. Say no to the bowl and enter into the birthright. I promise you, I promise you this. If you eat what's in the bowl at the end of the day, it's just beans. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just love you and honor you and tell you you're the best. We tell you you're the best, Lord. Is there anybody here today who'd say, you know what? I haven't, um, I haven't made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. My life has been defined from urge to urge to urge to urge to urge. And you know what? I'm at a point in my life where I realize how meaningless that is. And, and I want my life to matter. I, and I need to start that journey by crossing the line and accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord. And, and accepting him. I want to be in his plan. That is the best way to live. Is there anybody here this morning say, Shane, please pray for me. I'd like to make that decision today. Just raise your hand right now, and I'd love to pray for you right where you're sitting. Is there anybody? I see you there at the back in the middle. I see you there at the back in the middle. Is there anybody else? I see you over there to the right. That is fantastic. Is there anybody else who says, Shane, please pray for me. I need to make that decision today. Today, I don't want to leave here without knowing that my life is going to count for something bigger than my urges. Anybody at all? Anybody, anybody besides those three? Would you just raise your hand, wave at me? Somebody, I see you over there on the right as well. Thank you. Anybody else? That's fantastic. Is there anybody else who'd say, Shane, please pray for me. Please pray for me. I see you there on the left. That is fantastic. I feel like there's one more. Just inside myself, I feel like there's one more. Anybody else? I see you there. There you go. I see you back there on the left. Fantastic. All right, would you six look up up here? Everybody else keep your head bowed, but you six look up up here at me. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to chat with you for a second. So, and everybody's going to be happy with you for this. Everybody, no one's going to be like, it's not going to be weird at all. I'd like you to get out of your seat and come down here and come see me for a second. So right there, right there. If you guys, come on now, come now, come walk quickly. Yep, yep, very good. Yep. Isn't this fantastic, hey? Yeah. Yeah, very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. I think there's... Okay, very good. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer together. This is so exciting. Like the Bible says that God just stopped all of heaven to have a prayer and have a party for you. 
Isn't that good? And um, like I've never had a party throw for me. Hi. I knew there were six. I was like, where is the sixth one? But I didn't want to go CSI on you or anything. Um, <laughs> and it's not the words of this prayer that save you. It's the response you've already made in your heart. You made a heart to respond. You've made in your decision in your heart to respond to God. And that is so fantastic. But we're going to all pray this prayer with you. So we're going to all do it together. Everybody out loud after me with some Napier gusto. You ready? All right. It goes like this. My Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. For me. I confess that I'm a sinner. I have no hope of saving myself. But you, Lord. I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me. Heal my heart. Forgive me for my bowls. And enter me into my birthright. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now this is... Um, yeah, this is this guy, Red, sorry, forgot his name. And, um, and he's, he's a very safe guy, very nice guy. They're going to take you into a back room where there's no weird stuff going on that I know of. And so what I want you to do is I want you to follow him right there, and he's going to help you along, give you some literature, get, just help you with the next step in your journey. So I want everybody to just follow him that way. Let's see, go. Now for the rest of us, for the rest of us, I bless you today to know that this has no power on you anymore. I bless you today to know that you don't have to live from urge to urge. Jesus died, so sin doesn't have to be your master. That there's a bigger calling, a bigger birthright. Now tonight, I'm going to preach the most important message I preach in the whole world with no exaggeration. No exaggeration. And I'd like you to come back tonight. Don't miss tonight to stay home and watch CSI. Let me fill you in. It comes out in America before it comes here. Let me fill you in. Here's what's going to happen. Ready? Grissom gets the bad guy. He's very clever, Grissom. Always finds the right clue at the right time. So I hope you were blessed by that. I'm going to turn the service. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to instruct them to close the service out on something fast. And when we, play, and when we do something fast, when you clap, I want you to clap in agreement with that song in a praise to God. And that clap is an agreement that says, God... I want my birthright, not a bowl. And I want us to have something we can clap to and some energy and stuff like that. But before we do, Pastor Dave's going to come up and, and, and take up an offering. Bless you guys. Thank you for having me as your guest.